today we are excited this morning, whether you're here in the house or you're tuning in online, we're celebrating what's called Palm Sunday. And it's something that we celebrate in the church uh, to, to really remember uh, the anticipation of, of Jesus' uh, entrance into Jerusalem. And this was a highly anticipated event. It was uh, something that, that the people of Israel, the Jewish people, had, had heard about. It was prophesied. All these things were happening, and, and, and there was a high degree of, of expectation um, for Jesus' return. It's an event that the nation of Israel celebrates, remembers, and there was a lot going on. If you can, if you can kind of picture the scene, there was excitement and, and people were, were charged up, the Messiah is coming, and, and, and people had followed Jesus' ministry. And, and yet, in the midst of all that, I often look at this event and it, and it, and it perplexes me. I don't know about you, but I read this passage of Scripture and it, and it, and it perplexes me. I look at it and I just kind of go, that's not really... It's not really how I would have probably wrote that, that, that up. I, I, I would have probably seen it happening a little bit differently. The reality is the plans and purpose of God often leave us confused. Sometimes they, 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 they leave us wondering if God missed something in the whole story. And in this, in this story, we look at it and we say, maybe, maybe God missed a, a a memo or something, and didn't realize it was supposed to be a really, really cool horse, not a, not a donkey. At times, we find ourselves in the midst of our situations and our circumstances, and we're wondering where God is in the midst of it. And sometimes we're left angry and confused and frustrated. Perhaps you found yourself in a, in a, in a similar place praying and expectant of a desired opportunity or, or outcome in your life, pursuing a dream that just never seems to materialize, or waiting on God's promise only to be disappointed in the result. And you kind of go, what in the world is going on? I, I remember a few years back, it was a couple of years ago, um, one of the things that, that the Clements uh, proudly do, those of you who, who know uh, myself and Gretchen and our family and our extended family, my mom and dad, Pat and Connie, um, are wonderful people. And I'm one of four boys, and, and we all have uh, wives and kids, and there's 12 grandkids now, so my, my parents' grandparent quiver is full, right? And it's crazy when our family gets together. It's just, it's absolute chaos and pandemonium, but it's a ton of fun. And we always look forward to it when we're together. And we always make time to get together around the holidays. So a couple of years ago, we were getting ready for the big family gathering. And, and my mom has a tendency, I, I love my mom. She's amazing. She's an incredible gift giver. She's always diligent about writing cards and she's very thoughtful that way. But if you know my mom, she's, you know, She's, she's a little crazy, um, and she loves to do stuff to bring the family together. So anytime we get together, we have to take a picture, and because at some point in my life I had a digital SLR camera, I'm the designated photographer. Whether I have any know-how to take pictures or not, I, I, I get to, to take that on. The other thing she loves to do, she loves to get matching stuff. Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, so we've gotten matching scarves, and we've gotten matching gloves and beanies, and all. I mean, I, you name it, she's got it, right? So we're always kind of wondering what each year is going to bring. A couple years ago, we were excited because we're big 49er fans, 
I was waiting for it. There it was. Yep. We're big Niner fans. Okay, I was born in the Bay Area. We love the Niners. We were just kind of born into it, and that's just it's our team through thick and thin. So it was the year that the Niners were in the Super Bowl, and we were, I mean, we were jacked. We were like, yes, it's going to be awesome. They're going to win it. It's going to be great. Obviously, we were a little disappointed in this. But we were anticipating. It was just, so we get to, we get to Christmas. We've got the big family gathering, and we're, we're, we're starting to open presents, right? And so all of a sudden, a couple of the grandkids start opening presents, and they're pulling out 49ers jerseys. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I'm like, Mom hooked it up. She got Niner jerseys. We're all getting outfitted, and then we're going to take a picture. This is going to be awesome. And so the, the jerseys are coming out, and we're all getting excited. We're all looking at each other like, yes, yes. I open up my bag. I look around. I'm like, there's, 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 not, there's not a jersey in my bag. I start looking around, and I'm like, did everybody else get jerseys? What's going on here? So I'm looking, and I'm realizing that not everybody's got a jersey. And I, I pull out what's in my bag, and it's in this little, this little case. And I'm like, what is this thing? And I open it up, and I pull it out, and I start unfolding it. And I'm like, what? is this a travel pillow? And I'm, and I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> and I, I unrolled it a little bit more, and I'm like, what is this thing? And it was a travel pillow, not the normal kind that you would put around your neck, because those are handy. No, it was a travel pillow that you inflate, and you put your hands through it, and then you stick your face in it. And I was like, what is this? And I was so confused, a bit disappointed, and honestly, a little frustrated. I was like, what happened here? It was there. It was great. Everybody was getting a Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes life can be like that, where everything's teed up. It's perfect. The opportunity's there, and God shows up, and you're like, wait, what? What just happened? And interestingly enough, this is where the Jewish people find themselves. Everything's ready, right? The city's just brimming. You can, you, can, you can almost see it. They've been under the thumb of the Roman government for, for decades, for generations. They've been going through oppression. They've been struggling, and, and, and the seasons that they've gone through have been difficult. And they're awaiting the deliverance of the promised Messiah. And people are excited. They're expecting of a change in their circumstance. They're expecting Israel to return to prominence and be placed back in a place of strength. And Jesus was there to set up God's kingdom and his reign on earth. Instead, we find Jesus, after three years of meaningful ministry, riding into Jerusalem on a great white stallion. Wait, a donkey? Wait, what? He comes rolling in on a donkey? And from all outward appearances, the Messiah who entered the city was the wrong Messiah. This is not, this is, this is not how this got drawn up. I remember the pro- prophecy. This is, not, this is not it. And you can see it. People are laying the palm branches down. They're throwing their cloaks down, and everybody's, and they're like, wait, what? Perhaps you felt Jesus has been the wrong Messiah for your situation a time or two. And you found yourself in that place of wondering, 
and saying, no, this isn't how this was supposed to go. Our text today is found in Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 1. It says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them. He will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did it just as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. God, we find ourselves in this place where we wonder what is going on in the world. We wonder what's going on in our situations and our circumstances. And we know that you have a plan and a purpose, but at times we question the way it's being fulfilled. We, we question the way that Jesus enters our story. And so God, as we grapple with the scripture today, as we begin to try to understand the way that you sent your son to this earth. Pray that we become alive in us to understand that you are fulfilling your plan and your purpose in each and every moment of each and every day. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for sending your son so that we could have life. We celebrate that today, and we thank you. Just pray your blessing on our time in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we consider this incredible scene, one of celebration and exultation and the arrived Messiah, I tend to find myself asking, how did we go from exclamations of Hosanna to just a few days later, crucify him? How does that happen? How do you go from here to here? In just a matter of a week. I've never quite understood that. Like, were these people bipolar? Was it like, whoa, And you're like, what, the world? What, what would cause that kind of a shift? Let's look at this scene closely. Hosanna's not a word we often use. And there's a, there's a, a few of those types of words. Hallelujah is one. It's the one we don't say too often anymore. You know, there's pastors back in the day, hallelujah. And everybody would be like, yeah. Another one's glory. Right? You always have to, you have to lower your voice. Glory. We, just, you know, we don't say those words that often anymore. It's because most people don't understand or, or have the context. But let's just focus on Hosanna for a second. 
Hosanna is defined in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word na means to save us. It's a cry. Save us, we pray. Save us now. It's a, it's a, it's a cry. It's a declaration. It's a, it's a plea. And this, this celebration and this plea for a Savior, that covenant was, was made to David back in, in 2 Samuel and First and Second Chronicles, and it was something that they were hoping would come to pass to restore Israel, to bring them back to a place of strength. And unfortunately, the, the salvation Israel was looking for was not spiritual. It was political. They were ready for a political overthrow of the government. Woo! Does that sound familiar? At all? We are looking for a savior right now, and it's like, God, show up, fix all this stuff, because, man, our world's jacked up, and why did this person get put into office, and what is going on, and I'm sick and tired of wearing this thing on my face, and what it... And we're waiting for a Messiah to show up and take care of it all. Unfortunately, the salvation Israel was looking for was not who showed up. And as they shouted, Hosanna, Jesus had come indeed to save, but not in the way that they had expected or hoped for. So how do we reconcile our view of what God's saving purpose should look like with that of the Messiah who actually shows up in our circumstance? How do we reconcile those things when they don't match up? God, I need you to do this and this and this and this and this. And uh, wait, 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 what? Why is this doesn't even make sense? The secret is understanding God's saving power and his purpose in sending Jesus, the Messiah, to us. What was his plan? What was his purpose? There are a few realities we must embrace as it pertains to God's purpose. And sending Jesus. The first one is this. God's purpose rarely aligns with our plans and our expectations. His purpose rarely lines up with what we think should be happening in our lives. Because his plans are greater. Imagine the scene of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. He just raised his best friend Lazarus from the dead. Pretty amazing deal. Right? He's going around, he's healing the sick, he's, he's, he's touching the lepers, he's, he's casting out demons, he's doing some pretty incredible stuff. You can just see it, his popularity, his notoriety is, is literally growing by the moment. People are just like, yeah, this is awesome, this guy is great. And people are clamoring to welcome the Messiah King. They're just amped, they're jacked, they're ready. Probably like a you know, sports team coming to town. It's like, oh, yeah. And here comes Jesus, and he comes rolling in on a donkey. What? That doesn't even make sense. Why? A donkey? Like I would have, I would have. I mean, let's be honest. You know, we all look at the story, and we think, he probably could have showed up in something a little more flashy than that, right? I'd probably roll in in, you know, nice sports car. Be like, I'm here. I'm here. You're welcome. Right? 
I mean, you look at it and you think, Jesus should be rolling in like a nice white stallion, you know? Like, you see my horse? It's my horse. Yeah. No, he shows up on a donkey. But Jesus understood Father God's purpose for him was to be a servant king, was to show up humbly, to serve people, to love people. He'd done it throughout his ministry, even, even washing his, his disciples' feet. Wait, what? This is not what a king does. And this doesn't jive with our understanding of what a king or a conquering hero should look like. We're, we're wired to see victory coming at the hands of the powerful and the strong. Right? Those are the ones we root for. Like, yeah, I mean, we all root for an underdog, yeah. But, you know, you want the, the strong, the powerful to win. And Israel expected a conquering king. That's where their cries of Hosanna, save us, show up. That's why they were saying that. They didn't want a meek king. They wanted a powerful king. And we often find our cries to be the same. God, save me from this situation. Save me from this circumstance, because I don't know what's going on, and I don't like it. Save me. But God knows exactly what he's doing in the midst of our situations and circumstances. Did you hear me? God knows exactly what he's doing when we're going through tough stuff. We forget that it's in the trials that faith and perseverance are grown. Romans chapter 5, verse 3, in the New Living Translation, says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment, no. For we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Did you read that? This hope will not lead to disappointment. The hope that we have in God, the hope that we have in Jesus, will not lead us to be disappointed. You see, in the midst of situations that don't line up with our plans and expectations, we're forced to either trust God's purpose or not. But wait a second, I was expecting this to happen, God, and, and this is not, it's not what we discussed. So in that moment, do we trust God? Do we trust that he's faithful? We, do we trust that he's in control, or do we go, no, I guess I'm going to have to do this myself again? Because God's fulfilling his perfect plan and purpose, just whether or not we're willing to submit to it. Jesus understood God's plan. It doesn't mean he liked it. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39, Jesus is in the garden. He's with his disciples. They've all cashed out. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate you. Verse 39 says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. If there's any way that I don't have to die, I'd be okay with that. But what does he say? Yet not as I will, but as you will. 
He was submitted to the Father's purpose. The question becomes for us, do we believe the suffering is actually part of God's plan? Because it was for Jesus. We've got to understand that God's purpose for our lives rarely aligns with our plans and expectations. The second thing is this. God's purpose is always rooted in the eternal, not the temporary. God is focused on the scope of eternity. Not just what's happening in the moment. Yes, he absolutely is aware of your circumstance. But he also understands his purpose for your life and mine. Too often we get ourselves focused on what we need in the moment. God, I need this. I need you to come and I need you to break through here. I need, I need a new opportunity. I need you to open a door. I need this and that and the other thing. And if all these things work out, then I'll know that you're faithful. I know that you're good. So take care of it really quick. And we spend time worrying on things that are outside of our control. We consume ourselves. We pour ourselves into achieving and pursuing things that will be here today and gone tomorrow. You know, when Jesus entered the city, he knew that his purpose was not to overthrow Roman rule and restore Israel. He knew that, even if nobody else did. Everyone was expecting a political overthrow, a new established king. It's going to be awesome. God's purpose was the long game of redeeming the souls of those who had rejected him. Did you hear me? His purpose was to redeem the people who had rejected him. Who were saying, Hosanna, save us! Crucify him! Those were the people that God sent his son to show up on the scene for. For you and for me. Stuck in our sin. Because we were born into sin, someone had to die. That's just how it works. When we sin, the wages of sin is death. That's what Scripture tells us. Somebody has to die. We deserved it. Jesus bore it. We deserved death and eternal separation from a loving God. Because he loved us so much, Jesus came and took our penalty. Jesus knew the plan of his Father. John chapter 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I have come down from heaven to do the will of my Father. He submitted to Father God. Jesus knew and understood his purpose on the earth was to seek and save the lost. Here's the question. Is our purpose as followers of Christ any different? Yeah, Jesus died so that we could be saved and we could have life. We could have relationship with God. But is our purpose any different if we call ourselves followers of Jesus? It's to seek and save the lost. It's to share your story. It's to share the hope that you have in Jesus. 
If we get caught up in the day-to-day hopes and desires, we may lose sight of what God is doing in the context of eternity. That's people's souls. That's people's never-dying souls, as a pastor friend of mine used to say. We can't get caught up in the temporary because we may lose sight of what God is doing in the context of eternity. Are we committed to God's plan and purpose for our lives, for those with whom we interact? Because God's purpose rarely aligns with our plans and expectations, and he's always focused on the context of eternity. Here's the final thought. God's purpose will always move us from where we are to where we need to be. God is not a God of stagnant, of stay put, you know, don't do anything, just kind of hunker down and, you know, make sure you don't get any of that that sin on you. God is always moving us to where we need to go. I remember listening to a pastor speak on the seasons as stages of God's purpose. It was a fascinating teaching because I remember not ever thinking of my journey with God that way. That each season and stage is unique and different, but if we, if we pay attention, God is always moving us towards his perfect plan. And we've seen it in our own lives. Gretchen and I, we've shared a few weeks back, we've moved 12 times in 22 years of marriage. It's been a little crazy. <laughs> We're not planning on moving anytime soon. But I remember we, we, we got married, you know, we were in college, and, and we got married in California, and, and it was awesome, and then we moved from California to Oregon, and, and then we moved back to California, and then we moved back to Oregon, and we settled in Salem, and then we came down to Albany, and then God took us to Portland. Keep keep Portland weird, Portland. I'm from Oregon, not Portland, Portland. Yeah, God took us to Portland and then back to Albany. We couldn't be more thankful to be back. God works everything according to his purpose in seasons and stages, and every season and stage prepares us a little bit more for the next one, for what God is desiring to do in and through our lives. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. It says, there's a time for everything and a, and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Time to search and a time to give up. Time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent. And a time to speak. Time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. There is always a purpose in God's timing, no matter what the season. Seasons in the scriptures actually translates to appointed time. So seasons aren't just happenstance. Oh, God took me over here and then he took me over there, and I don't really know the meaning of this season that I had over here. It just doesn't make any sense. God always has a purpose for his appointed 
time in your life and in mine. Not one moment with God is without purpose. Not one detail of your life goes unnoticed by God. That means the good seasons as well as the bad. Some of the deepest, darkest seasons of my life revealed things in me that I needed to surrender to God. I had to walk through some pretty crummy stuff to realize, God, I'm still withholding part of who I am. I'm still not trusting you completely. I'm still not allowing myself to be whole, holy in you. Because I'm prioritizing all these other things. Learning to trust God completely means surrendering completely in the good and the bad. And God is always moving. After all, Jesus did call us to follow him. Take up your cross. Follow me. Called his disciples. Follow me. Leave everything and follow me. That means we can't set up camp. It's not like, I got God. I'm good. I'm setting up camp. I'm putting down my stakes. I'm not moving right here. You can come to me. That's not how it works. That's not how the journey of life and the walk with Christ works. We are always growing if we choose to follow Jesus. We've got to have a growth mindset. That idea of understanding that we haven't arrived, that we're on journey, that God is changing us and moving us and stretching us and And there's times it's going to be hard and it's going to hurt. My boys took me to the gym the other night. That was a mistake. Also because I have a thumb that isn't fully repaired. And when I picked up a dumbbell, I went like this. I was like, (laughs) but there's a pain with growth. It's just part of the process. In business, we call it continuous improvement, understanding that we can be better tomorrow than we were today. We can trust God more completely to tomorrow than we did today. We can give up more. We can surrender more to him. The question becomes, is your faith rooted in a desired outcome or destination, or is your faith truly in God? Because if it's rooted in a desired outcome or destination or hope or dream, there's a really good chance you're going to be disappointed often. But if you're not driven by the temporary, if you're not driven by, if this happens, I'll know that God is on the throne, then our faith isn't circumstantial. Our faith is truly in the one who knows our beginning from our end and every step in between. So do you truly trust God? Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, say all things, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In everything he's working for your good because he called you and he created you and he loves you and he has a purpose but it's according to his purpose. Just the same way Jesus said, not my will, but yours. 
Are we willing to say, not my plans, but your purpose, God? Jesus understood his purpose on this earth. Are you trusting God is moving you from where you are to where he wants you to be? As many look at Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, they would have said, this isn't the right Messiah. This, this is the wrong guy. Something's not adding up here. Something's not right. Yet God knew the Savior the world needed. And God knows the Savior that the world needs today. He knows the Savior that you need and that I need. A loving servant. Someone whose action matched his teaching. He didn't say, say one thing. He didn't run on a platform and I'm going to have these kind of policies and I promise to do this and this and this. And then he comes over here and does the complete opposite. Well, that's not the Jesus that we see. But this is who I am. I've come to seek and save the lost. A son willing to die for all of humanity. Jesus willingly gave of himself so that you and I could have relationship with God. Our lives should reflect the same. Meekness. Not weakness, meekness. That's power under control. The power of God at work in your life, under control, being brought to everyone else through your story, through your willingness to trust God in every moment. Our lives should reflect love and compassion because that's who Jesus was. That's the example that we see. Somebody who loved completely to the point of death. Do we love people that much? Are we willing to trust God's purpose that much? Because God is working out his plan and his purpose in your life and in mine. It's whether or not we're willing to step into it, to trust him. Because your story matters, and it matters to the people who come in contact with you. They may not be willing to open this up and start reading, but they want to hear about your life. They're interested in the details of what you've been through and what you've walked through and how you've gotten to where you are and why you still have hope. God knows the Savior that the world needs, and it's not the one that everyone's looking for. It's the Messiah who came to save. Seek and save the lost. To die for you and for me so that we could have life and life more abundant. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we can trust you in the good times and the bad, that we can trust you with the most intimate and important details of our lives knowing that when push comes to shove, your plan and your purpose is the most important thing. And that even as we trust you, there will be times that we'll be disappointed. There'll be times when we won't understand. There'll be times when we'll look around and go, this isn't the Messiah that I needed. I, I needed this to happen. But I pray in those moments we would find ourselves able to pull back and be confident that in the midst of the confusion and the uncertainty, you're still accomplishing your perfect plan. 
I thank you that you're a faithful God who loves us so much that you were willing to send your son to die a shameful death so that we could have restored life and relationship with you. I thank you that Jesus isn't dead. He's, he's alive. He was resurrected on the third day, and he sits at your side interceding and praying for each and every one of us. Thank you, God, that when it comes to your plan and your purpose for our lives, despite the fact they rarely align with our plans and purposes, you are always working in the context of eternity and moving us from where we are to where we need to be, fulfilling your purpose for your glory and for the hope of those around us to receive life and to be freed from lives that are destructive. I pray that we would be reminded every day of your goodness and your love and your plan for our lives. God, we thank you. And this morning, perhaps, you find yourself in this place or or watching online, and you are in that place where you're saying, you know, that's all great, but I'm, I'm still struggling here, and I need an answer. I need a Savior. I need a Messiah in my moment right now. And this all sounds awesome, but I need, I, need, I need an answer right now. I'm here to tell you, Jesus is that answer. Not in the cliche Sunday school way, When we step out of death and into life because of what Jesus did at the cross, it changes everything. And it's simply the willingness to acknowledge our need of him and to be willing to accept him as our Savior. So this morning, if you're in that place where you're saying, I I, want to take a chance, I want to step out and receive that promise. I want to understand that there's a purpose for my life, that I'm not just here wondering what the point is. If you're willing to step out and say yes, we want to pray with you as you make that decision. So wherever you find yourself, in the house, in your car, on your couch, We're going to say a prayer. It's a simple prayer of declaration of our need of God, our need of a Savior, our our need of a Messiah. It's our Hosanna cry. Save us. Save us now. So this morning, if you want to make that decision, Scripture tells us if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that he died and was raised from the dead, we will be saved. So we're going to say a prayer. We're going to say it together so that no one's singled out or embarrassed. But we even invite you to say this prayer with us. In the transformative power of Jesus will immediately save you. Can we say this prayer together, church? Father God, Please forgive me 
I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe your son Jesus Christ came to this earth to show me how to live. And he died and was raised back to life so that I could have relationship with you. I ask you today to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change as I choose to live for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but I am excited for what God has in store for your life and for mine, the plan and the purpose he created each and every one of us for. We're not accidental. And although the world is looking in all the wrong places for a Messiah and a Savior, we have the hope of Jesus. It's whether we're willing to acknowledge God's plan and purpose in each and every moment, and if we're willing to share that hope with those that we come in contact with. I pray God's blessing on you this week as we get ready for Good Friday and for Easter. I don't know about you, but I am expectant that God is going to show up in a mighty way. And I would invite you to find those friends and family who need to be here, who need to hear the, the good news. Because God's going to do something amazing in this church and in this community. And we can celebrate what he's doing. So as you step out and you share your story and you share your purpose, know that God goes with you, that the Holy Spirit speaks through you, and in every moment of every day, let's take that time and make the decision to show the love of Christ as, we be the, as we're in the neighborhood each and every day. Let's go and be the neighborhood this week. God bless you.